Welcome to the Hard Parking Podcast. This is your host, Jay Finning. This is bonus episode three of five, covering the Last Dance docuseries, which chronicles the 1997 to 1998 Chicago Bulls. Today, we're going to be joined by Brian Calma, who's back for his third straight week. We have Jay Jacobs, host of the, of the I Hate Average podcast. Of course, we have Corey Harrison is returning. We missed him last week. Corey Harrison of the Out of Bounds Sports Podcast and friend of mine, Ben Dixon from Michigan. We used to chop it up all the time over sports when we should have been working. Coming up, the last dance. Well, I know Steve Kerr is going to go behind a double screen. Here's five. Come on, five seconds count. Here's where gives it back. Tony Long, three. Yeah! 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 Two counts! Two counts! All right, so we're going to cover uh, episodes five and six of The Last Dance ESPN. So last week, I started off with some thoughts from the week before. But one thing I do want to say is, depending on what side of the fence you guys are on with the whole Isaiah Thomas and Michael Jordan and walking off the court. Okay, so the Celtics hand it to you that way and you're handing it to the Bulls that way. But just give me an example of some other game where you did where you walked off the court. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I kind of don't buy that. So it's more bullshit than anything. Um, <laughs> but Going into episode five now, five and six, I think what we're, we want to do is kind of go left to right. So I have Brian, Ben, Jay, and Corey. You know, what are your takeaways? You know, one minute or less takeaway of five and six before we get into actual topics, Brian. Well, a couple things. So the first one, and I think I hit on this uh, probably on the first podcast that we did, but talking about agents. So Michael's agent with their firm representing guys like golfers and tennis players and boxers I think that had a lot to do with his endorsements right because I didn't know so much that team sports players weren't endorsing as as much as uh, solo sports players at that point in time so it almost felt like you had the perfect case of events happening where they started marketing Michael in all these different ways that other basketball players weren't marketed before they were trying to use a model that they would use for tennis players and such, which also led to the contract with Nike versus Adidas, which I found very interesting because Michael said that he was an Adidas guy before signing with, with Nike. That was one thing to really see how that unfolded, which was really, uh, which was really interesting to me. Uh, the other thing, too, that I really didn't know a lot about of was uh, the pressure that he was getting politically to try to endorse the Senate candidate from North Carolina. And so, you know, we've seen a few superstars amongst different sports over the years be more of like activists over the years and such. But, you know, it's, it's one thing where I think it was uh, something really interesting for them to cover. And it's definitely put a lot of pressure on Michael Jordan at that point in time. So those are really the two things that really stuck out to me after watching these two episodes this week. Ben, what do you got? Well, it's funny he said that. He kind of stole some of my thunder, but... <laughs> um, the agent thing really uh, stuck out to me more than anything did because you look at how they had their reservations of giving uh, a rookie, what was it, $250,000 or something like that? And um, no one had ever, like he said, a team player had ever gotten that kind of money. So he was basically a trendsetter for, um, you know, solo, uh, a team player getting, you know, uh, deals like that because all tennis players and golfers and stuff like that. <clears throat> so that one struck me and how he had to convince his dad because he had told, talked about how intelligent he thought Michael Jordan was and it made sense to him when he met his parents because he said they were very intelligent. So he knew in order to get Michael to sign with Nike, he had to talk to his dad because his dad would be in his ear, you know, and his dad ended up making the right decision too. And uh, obviously the rest is history on the, on the Nike. Jay, what do you got? Um, yeah, I, I kind of want to touch on how all of his important uh, decisions was so much advice from his parents. Corey, what you got? So for me, like the the meeting, like when he came on, I was a little emotional just because of Kobe. The the first um, you know words that came across my screen and love remembering Kobe Bryant, and then how these greats were sitting in the locker room. And they were discussing Kobe. He was 19 years old, 
and you know you had Jordan talking trash about him, and then you had um, also I think Grant Hill not even wanting to guard him because he didn't want to be on the highlight, and so for me that <laughs> really right. stuck out to me. You know the impact of Kobe was so early. You know he already had some of the greats in the game already, kind of you know having like this little chatter back and forth about him. And, you know, just to see how his career developed, you know, beyond that, it's just phenomenal just to see how um, it started from that, that all-star game starting uh, uh, number five. Yeah, so for me, the fifth and sixth hour, I know I said we'd squeeze them together, but we're all kind of hitting on the fifth hour. Um, I was happy to see Kobe Bryant a little bit on there. I understood it was a nod to Kobe, but I felt like it was like the MCU. So the Marvel Cinematic Universe likes to tease you and show you clips of what's coming up. But then with, you know, 10 minutes in the movie, that's what the whole clips were. So, you know, if you're going to show us Kobe, and I get this isn't about Kobe, but the, I mean, he was on and off within five minutes. So I felt that was a little misleading, but it was still really good to see. And to echo Corey, you know, I thought it was awesome that they showed the players in the locker room to have the camera and the video in the locker room. And all those players will really more, more Jordan, because it seemed like nobody was really wanted to say anything, even if they didn't agree with him. Like Penny Hardaway looked mad as hell, but Jordan was like, look at this guy. You know, we got to teach him a lesson. He could be really good, but he's got to earn it. You know, I thought that was really cool to see that. And then and us knowing in retrospect where that relationship went. I thought that was, you know, really special. Let's start with Nike. I knew Jordan wasn't big on Nike. I didn't know how not big on Nike he actually was. Like they basically, he called his mom and mom said, you better go listen to those people. And how about David Falk? So David Falk's been in Jordan's corner from the beginning to the end. And I don't know how often you have an agent in sports. Now, granted, it's different now, but still, that was his agent from the beginning to the end. But for him to say that they projected in the fourth year, hey, if, we're, if we do good here with this deal, by, by year four, we're going to do $3 million in sales. And they do $126 million after the first year. So, Corey, what do, what do you have to say about that? Like, what are your thoughts? How crazy was it? For for me, um, I, like I, like you, I didn't know um, that he was so out on Nike like that. He didn't even want to walk in the campus at all. And the influence of your mother, you know, even with my own mother, you know, just kind of listening to her and and you know going ahead and doing what where would we would have been with the Air Jordan shoe if he had a sign with either Adidas or Converse because you know as you know Converse was big during that time as well. And you know just the to think um, how that shoe, um, still people wear those shoes to, to this day. You know, people have lost their lives over that shoe. Just to think how, you know, it started with his mother. So credit to his mother for even having the power to be able to influence him to make that decision, to be able to make such a global change, you know, with people wanting to buy this shoe. Because a lot of people wear Nikes, a lot of people wear Jordans. But I'm not sure if it would have been so successful if, if he would have signed with Adidas or Converse, as you can see how those companies are doing now. It's crazy, right? Jay, what do you got? All right, you can go go to the next guy. I'm going to fix this quick. Next guy, Ben, what you got? Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, back to about that endorsement deal, you look at nowadays, well, nowadays, say someone like LeBron James, I think I have these numbers right. His rookie contract, I think, was like $13 million. His Nike deal as a rookie was $90 million. So it's like, what are you at that point professionally? Are you even a basketball player or are you a professional endorser who plays basketball? Brian. Yeah, so first it's David Fox, like, thinking outside the box, right, his ingenuity. Going back to, you know, what I think uh, Ben had said earlier, it was – you know, mostly team sports guys not getting the individual endorsements. And, you know, they showed that clip of the Converse commercial and it was all the big guns in the NBA back then. They were just kind of like a, they were a group, right? They were a package deal. But in this case, it was just thinking outside the box, going with an up and coming company like Nike, who specialized in track shoes instead of, you know, basketball shoes. So it was, it was a gamble. It was going into uncharted waters and the gamble paid off. The other thing is, is that we hit on in uh, the last episode, Jay, was um, remember when we were talking about the shot on Elo and I brought up, well, what if, what if Jordan missed that shot? We lived in this alternate universe where that shot clanked off and Elo hit the game winner instead, right? 
What if, what if Jordan went with Adidas? Yeah, it right? would have been a whole nother world. Exactly. Are we talking about like the 35th, you know, Air Jordan? It wouldn't even be called Air Jordan, right? Because right. it was all Air Jordan Nike Air. because it was, it was Air technology. It was the sole of the shoe. It wasn't necessarily Michael Jordan's nickname. So it just happened to be that, you know, David Falk came up with the nickname to try to market the shoe along with Jordan's name. Yeah, just thinking about how different it would have been is just crazy. Well, it, to me, I, I, you kind of got to credit Jordan because he had the confidence. Yes, they had the deals in place. You know, Nike better him. They gave him the money, but he had to execute. So it kind of shows a little more of his character that he had the confidence to ex and the, the confidence and the ability to execute on the on the deal that they made. Have all of you, have any of you not owned a pair of Air Jordans? I had six and seven. Seven was my favorite. And they showed it a lot last night. So I had I had a lot of nostalgia watching last night because I remember watching that finals. Um, and I believe it was the finals against the Portland Trailblazers when he came out with the uh, the black and red sevens. And I, I was begging my mom to get me those shoes. You know, and I did get them. And I wore the shit out of them, man. Like I wore them like so much. I ripped the hole in the toe, you know, but I mean, I love those Jordans so much. Those are like charcoal and black, right? The, the, the first ones were, yeah, the yeah. first ones were like charcoal, black, and yellow. But then during the finals, he came and out all with black, black and red. With red. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about that time when he, for his last game at the Garden, he wore his Jordan oh, yeah. ones and he said that the shoes were so bad, like the technology had come such a long ways. It was like stepping, you know, probably just a pair of cardboard or whatever. And he said his sock, sock was just bloody and, and soaked. I mean, he was doing interviews, still on the court with his shoes untied. Like he couldn't wait to get out of them. <laughs> Yo, we're going to get to that. Actually, I have that as a topic. Corey, you ever had a pair of J's? Do you have a J story? Well, the last time I actually had a pair of Jordan, I had like about six or seven pair. It's when I actually liked Michael Jordan because right now I don't really like Michael Jordan. You know that we talked about this before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, all my shoes got stolen. Like I had a bunch of Michael Jordan shoes. I had 13s, I had sixes, I had the sevens, had threes, ones, and they all got stolen from my mom's house. And I just never got another pair after that. Were you mad at Michael for that? I wasn't mad at Michael. I really started, um, you know, started, you know, gearing towards Kobe a little bit more. So I started buying his shoes after that. I'm a big Kobe guy, so. You know, this is unrelated, but just listening to you talk about, you know, your love for Michael Jordan and uh, Kobe Bryant. Another thing that I didn't touch on earlier was it was it was touching to see Kobe Bryant speak. And he he said something that was incredibly endearing to Michael. But at the same time, Kobe Bryant is such a talent. I don't know if. I mean, he may have learned a lot of his game. I mean, obviously he was Jordan 2.0, but still, like he's he was such a talent. I think he still could have won some rings, whatever style that he would have developed with or without Michael. But for him to, you know, say all five, you know, he wouldn't have them. I mean, I thought that was pretty cool. Jay, do you have a do you have an Air Jordan shoe story? Uh, well, I mean, just, just you know, being from New York and, and seeing the lies, like you know, I always see those set those lines on Saturday mornings in front of Foot Lock or Foot Action and people just, some people fighting over it and some people just lining up and, and it's like 8 o'clock in the morning waiting for the store to open up to get Jordans. I, I was never that type, you know, I, I get it whenever I, if I could, but I wasn't I wasn't a, a Jordan sneaker fiend, but I, of course I was a fan. My very first pair of Jordans were the sixes. Which color did you get? I had the, well, mm. those were the pull-up the tongue. The yeah, those are my first yeah. ones, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I had the white ones. Yeah, and I had the same ones, yeah. I Throughout my whole life, I just had, we went to um, Payless Shoe Store, so that's where all my shoes came from were Payless. And my friends would always make fun of me because the bottom of the Payless soles used to be plastic. And then you get the Pro Wings Eagles, which were their basketball shoes, and they actually had rubber on the bottom, so you no longer busted your ass trying to play basketball at, in P.E., but everyone made fun of them, you know, people just clown you for your shoes. So I went to, we had the store in Texas called Hypermart, which was like Walmart before Walmart. And my <laughs> father took me to Hypermart and we got these shoes called Sergio Valverde. <laughs> 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 
Sergio Valente? Sergio yes. Valente. Oh, damn. I had, I had some Sergio's. And uh, I wore them to school because I was thinking I was a shit because I no longer had pro wings. And I had some friends that just ripped me for those shoes. And I told my dad, I was like, hey, I want some Jordans. And he goes, all right, you save up half the money and I'll pay for the other half. Because we had this deal with clothes that we wanted. We had to save up half the money. And this I was a freshman in high school. So I save up half the money. We go to, I think, Finish Line, which is in Square Mall. And we get the Jordans. I remember my dad looked at them. I think they were 115 at the time. And he was like, how much are those? But that was the last time he'd ever helped me buy a pair of shoes. But I, that was, I went from those Jordans and I never looked back. So all throughout high school, I spent my money on were shoes and jerseys. I have a Jordan, sto- uh, Jordan shoe story. It's actually a, an almost Jordan shoe story. I had it in my mind that if I had made uh, the seventh grade basketball team, that my dad would buy me some Jordans. And at the time, it was the fours that were out, and I wanted them. I made the team, and everybody else on the team, not everybody, but everybody who mattered on the team had them. But my dad wouldn't buy them for me. I had to go out and get the Air Forces. <laughs> And these weren't the cool Air Forces. These are the high-top Air Forces before David Robinson made them cool or any of that. Like, they, they were puffy on the ankles. Our, our uniforms were, were maroon, and these shoes were red. Like, <laughs> it didn't matter because I sucked. But <laughs> my first pair of real Jordans were hand-me-down fives from my uncle. <laughs> if he has some real Jordans, who knows what would have happened, right? <laughs> so that game did you guys know Jordan's stat line in the game where the shoes were too small 13 years old the shoes were 42 points 8 rebounds 8 assists uh, bloody uh, toes uh. <laughs> so let's let's go on to uh, more discussion on the on the show they talked about the dream team it was inevitable so Jordan said and I understand this story is told through the prism of Jordan's approval as far as we know he's been pretty straight up with us on things and we'll never know until somebody else comes out years later and says that was bullshit but jordan says he has nothing to do with isaiah being left off the dream team verbally do you guys believe him because they said half the dream team had issues with him and they made a good case as to why but do you guys believe him Corey? you go first because you were the first to shake your head it was so many different (laughs) um you know things that i've heard before i even watched this you know going back to um his first all-star game when they didn't pass him the basketball you know, I'm pretty sure, like, he doesn't let anything go. And then the the finals, whenever um, he met Isaiah and they, you know, basically dismounted that team, they walked off the court and didn't shake hands with them and things like that. So I think all that just, you know, just came back to him. And, you know, I feel like it, he probably wasn't the only one, but he had the biggest voice in the room when it came to leaving him off that team. Like, you had Christian Leitner on the team. <laughs> I mean, like seriously. I mean, well, they had to, well, they had to keep one collegiate player on there. Now I mean, that should have been Shaquille O'Neal. But... So Shaq, yeah, Shaq. <laughs> I mean, like if you think about Isaiah Thomas was like I think right behind Magic Johnson as far as point guards in that era. You know, he had all the accolades, like he stated, championships, MVPs. For him to be off of that team. And what was so funny is that Isaiah's coach was the coach of the, the dream team. That doesn't make any sense. Brian? I do think that Michael Jordan had a lot to do with it, but I think there was another loud voice in the room too. And I think it was Magic Johnson. And the reason I say that is because I read an article yesterday about some interviews that Magic did within the last five years talking about um, kind of the history between he and Isaiah Thomas and their relationship how good it was and then how it deteriorated. And the one piece that they uh, talked about was when, um, was when Magic had to retire due to getting uh, HIV. HIV yeah. So the word on the street was, is that Isaiah was starting to spread some rumors about Magic saying that Magic he said he was, you know, gay. was gay or bisexual. And so that was like one of the things that really ruined their relationship to the point of today, even like they don't, have any relationship anymore so um yeah i think jordan had a lot to do with it i think that um that walkout did have a lot to do with it for <laughs> jordan but i don't think he was the only voice in the room I, I agree with Corey, but i think the other loud voice in the room was magic because at that point you think about it magic had just retired been forced to retire the year before um still revered in the nba and it was him and larry bird kind of on their uh on their 
in the twilight of their careers, riding out to the sunset, winning a gold medal, calling it a day. Um, so I think that Michael and Magic were the two loudest voices, you know, that contributed to Isaiah not making the team. But I do think that Isaiah should have made the team, honestly. And if it were up to me, I'd say swap out John Stockton for Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> ben? Yeah, I buy it. I mean, I buy that it was a, a collective effort. It was funny, though, because Magic talked like it was his team, you know, uh, like he was the leader of it. And then when he and Mike would go ahead and scrimmage, Mike kept saying, this ain't the 80s, or this is the 90s now, or whatever it was that he was saying, you know. <laughs> But, but they were definitely the two alpha dogs in the team and that both had problems with Isaiah. So, you know, if Christian Leitner or, or steps up and says, I think Isaiah should be on the team, they ain't going to listen to that. So it's, it's just one of them things. And, and Chuck Daly was like, hey, man, I got a gold medal to win here. If the guys don't want my guy, if I can go inside his head and say that, then he just got to coach what they got. They didn't need Isaiah to win it, apparently. Jay. Yeah, I, I was thinking, yeah, just mentioned that he, they could have swapped out uh... – John Stockton for Isaiah, but I think John Stockton, his relationship with Carl Malone kind of swayed that. And so I, I think that it was it was a difference of being that he's a point guard, you got Magic, then you got John Stockton, and also because he was the one of the bad boys. So I think it was a combination of all that, and they didn't want to ruffle feathers, so that's why he didn't make the team. But I don't think it was, I don't think it was just Jordan. When Jordan says, I didn't come out and say I didn't want him on the team. I believe him only because I have no reason not to believe him based on everything we've seen so far. But there's a there's a conflict of interest that Chuck Daly had that a lot of people aren't talking about. I think one other person brought it up. And if you think back, those of you who, if you can remember, I kind of remember, and, and, and this guy eventually was on the 94 team, but there was a discussion that Dumars could have been that last player too because of the redundancy of two highly efficient point guards and nobody to play defense. But obviously Chuck Daly can't say, let's bring on Joe and then leave off his superstar and then have to go, you know, and work with him, you know, the following season. And um, yeah, magic had a big issue with him. We're two years removed from, you know, Larry bird, you know, and them guys fighting and every, cause Larry bird hated him too. But I, I just feel like they should have found a way because it doesn't make sense. Cause everybody hates Chris Paul. He punches everybody in the nuts. But I think if they made a big, a big, you know, all star, whatever, he'd be on there. And like, I don't, I can't see anybody today sitting out because somebody else is on the team. So looking back, it would have been nice to see him on there. But <laughs> what was that, Court? I hate Chris Paul. I, yeah, I, I don't uh, like yeah. him either, man. I think he's overrated, honestly. But that's just me. CP three uh, to six weeks. Uh, <laughs> I heard him call that. Does he kind of remind you of John Stockton though? Like he kind of reminds me of Stockton. They're both kind of dirty, and they both kind of had the same game. A little bit. Let's talk about something that Brian brought up earlier with Harvey Gant and Jesse Helms. I dug into this quite a bit, and I listened to a lot of talk radio today as well. Victor, who I was on a call with earlier, felt that Jordan would be—he didn't do himself any favors, and he would just be getting killed today. I haven't listened to a lot of shows, but the shows that I've listened to don't really support that. Do you guys think MJ was wrong for not endorsing Harvey Gant against Jesse Helms? And I know that Corey doesn't like uh, Michael for not taking a stance, but we'll start with uh, Ben. Ben, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I thought the same thing, like, you know, that he probably should have, you know, especially when push came to shove, like he had a second opportunity to do it you know, when, when it was more public, but he just came out right out and said, he goes, I'm not an activist. I never saw myself as an activist. You know, as, as much public pressure as he was under and scrutiny that he was under, like they, they talked about how he couldn't get away from the media. He probably just didn't want anything to do with it. He probably was just like, I want to have some privacy. I do not need anything political hanging over my head when I came and leave my hotel room to get ice. Jay, what do you got? Yeah, I think that's just his personality. Like he, we actually, we don't know like what he thinks about anything. We just know that he's one of the, he's the greatest basketball player, but I think he wants to keep that mystique. He doesn't want to show his personal opinions, his personal thoughts on things. And that was just one of his ways of showing that. Brian. My opinion on the matter is that athletes, if they want to be outspoken about social issues, then that's, that's their choice. I also think it's their choice to not speak out on social issues as well, because you know, it's not in their job description. It's not what they're getting paid for either. 
So I can't blame Jordan for not wanting to speak up. I know he was under an intense amount of pressure, but, you know, he wasn't the only NBA superstar at the time. And I'm sure he's not the only NBA superstar that was um, approached with questions about political issues. But if, you know, any, any professional athlete chooses, you know, not to be outspoken and, and be an activist, then that's fine in, in my eyes. Um, you see today where you had guys like LeBron, CP3, Melo, and uh, D. Wade, you know, they're very outspoken about things like, you know, violence in the inner cities and, you know, the inability for people and for minorities to be able to get along with the law, you know, things like that, you know, and that's their choice. And that's, and that's great. And, and I support that. But at the same time, I also support somebody who doesn't want to be outspoken either. Like one person who I can see right now, you know, relative to today's NDA is Kawhi Leonard, right? Not a very outspoken guy at all. So, mm. you know, if he were to be approached with such questions, I, can, I wouldn't be surprised if he just straight out said, you know, I don't have an opinion on the matter and I would rather not say. I think what was at stake, well, not that I think, but what was at stake also is um, Harvey Gantt was, was working on being the first African-American in the Senate. Right. Right, absolutely. And on the other side of the fence, I mean, I forgot what his opponent's name was, uh, the incumbent. Jesse Senate. Helms. Yeah, and he had some backwoods, you know, racist tendencies, you know, and, and I could see the pressure. I mean, it would be easy for somebody to, you know, give their, uh, lend their support to Harvey Gantt. But again, if ultimately, you know, MJ decided not to speak up and not to be an activist in that situation, then, you know, I can't fault him for not doing that. Corey. That was disappointing. You know, just disappointed. I mean, he's not Muhammad Ali. We know that. You know, the man was from North Carolina, so an endorsement from Michael Jordan would have put him probably, you know, he probably would have won the election with an endorsement like Michael. You know, just like he said with Jesse Him, you know, having that, that background, and he ultimately won, and then he made the statement. I mean, if he was, I understand to a certain extent that they don't have the, um, to, you know, voice their opinion when it comes to that, but he did make a statement, said, that uh, Republicans uh, buy shoes too. Yeah. And so, I mean, he pretty much made his statement there. So, I mean, if, it was, if, if, if he was gonna be indifferent, he shouldn't have said anything. So, it's understandable. I did a little bit of research on that, but also I think what we're missing is that he said that on the team bust and jest around other players. It wasn't an official statement. Someone took it and ran with it. I think to Ben's point earlier, he did have another opportunity once it got out you know, and he stuck to his guns. In retrospect, you know, Jordan did say to his credit, which I thought was interesting, he said, you know, was it selfish? Probably. But that's where my energy was at the time, is what he was saying. But I, I did some research on this, and they interviewed Harvey Gantt. It was an article posted by Sean Gregory at time.com today. It says, 30 years later, Gantt tells Time he doesn't begrudge Jordan's decision to not publicly support him. He isn't sure how much it would have mattered anyway. And he said, somebody told me something about Republicans buying Nikes. Gantt, now 77, says, and I said, yeah, they do. I guess if you're building a brand, that's what you do. So as I said earlier, he was seeking to become the first African-American uh, senator from North Carolina and a boost from Jordan, who at the time hadn't won an NBA title. So he wasn't, he was on the rise, but he still hasn't done anything yet, but was still one of the most famous beloved people on the planet. So, you know, could, could um, Gantt benefited from him? He said they didn't spend much time talking about it. It was secondhand, and he actually said nobody from his camp or his campaign ever reached out to Jordan. So it was somebody secondhand that may have approached Michael about it. I mean, he, he actually lost by 105,000 votes. It wasn't that close, uh, but he said he understood that Jordan was trying to build a brand, but... Even Jordan can't stop the black man from getting trampled. My <laughs> 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 thing is, is Jordan... With, with Michael Jordan, he had um, such a, you know, following even coming out of college. Um, and I understand, you know, about him building a brand. And he was a made man as soon as he stepped foot in the NBA. We already know that. And so just, you know, this is about him trying to protect his brand and trying to build his brand. He was going to be a made man regardless. So, yeah, I, mean, I buy it, that. It wouldn't, hurt, it wouldn't have hurt him none to, to endorse someone from his hometown. You know, to just to help another, you know, a, another uh, person from his his hometown out like that. I mean, it, it wouldn't hurt him none at all to take that but stand. You're thinking financially, so you're right. But 
he said he doesn't follow politics. He doesn't know anything about that person. So what's to say, you know, he, he goes ahead and gives them an endorsement just because of the color of his skin. You know, I think in a lot of cultures, you know, once people make it and you feel you have a platform, you have to extend that platform and you don't have to extend that platform. Because what happens if he, and we don't know, right? Okay, if so you Jay, endorse, if, if, you, if Andrew Yang asks for your support, you're going to turn him down? Yeah, I would turn him down. <laughs> Me and Brian would turn him down. <laughs> hey, I'm 47% Asian. That's why. But hey, if, if, if you promised a thousand dollars a month, fuck it, man. He got my support. Shit. <laughs> yeah, it's the, uh, you know, it's the, it's the, it's kind of the Obama disease. Where it's like, you know, now one of us is in the White House, so we're about to get taken care of. You know, Obama's a politician. You know what I mean? Let's say Jordan, he helps Gant. Let's say Gant gets caught up in a scandal. Now Jordan's wrapped up in a scandal. So, Corey, I. You're right. In a sense, I, I see what you're saying, but I mean, I can't fault the guy for being who he is. Would I have done it? Probably. You know, I mean, I don't have that platform, but yeah. So you also look, you're looking at as a, as a, a mature person too. He was what in his early thirties. So we no, he was 20. He was in his late twenties. Yeah. So it's, it's a different, different mindset. I think he had at that time. I think when he said, and you know, and when he he's like, was it selfish? Probably to me, that's him basically saying, yeah, maybe I should have did something else because we know he usually yeah. doesn't back down from anything. Yeah, and he still doubled down by saying, I still mean, you know, Republicans we wear, you know, they buy sneakers yeah. too. But food for thought. This is additional. So Craig Hodges, after the nineteen ninety two, he went to the White House and he and had his a list. career. Yeah, that mean. <laughs> yeah, so I did some research on that, fighting social justice, uh, you know, in the black community. Chicago waived him. Um he was basically blackballed from the NBA forever. 3 of his final 4 years were overseas. The only time he played ball again in the states, and we're talking about Craig Hodges, two-time NBA champion, multiple three-point. Still, I think has a record for the three-point competition or he's way up there. The only time he played again was for the Rockford Lightning. That's Rockford, Illinois. <laughs> So sometimes, at least back then, you know, you can't really come out and, I mean, there's no way in hindsight Jordan would have known, but. The new word, Dashiki in the White House. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Back comes Croatia. Go comes. Got a return it. Pippen with a steal. Three on one. And it's Pippen again. Scotty Pippen and Michael Jordan came out sky high, and uh, their goal was. To, uh, put the clamps um, let's let's move on to Tony Kukoc. Tony oh, Kukoc yeah. got some got some shine. Um, <laughs> do you guys feel bad for him? A lot of people are feeling bad for him today. No, actually, no. Um, I, I don't feel feel bad for him because I understood why Jordan and Pippen did that to him because of Jerry Krause was basically messing around with Pippen's money and, you know, basically endorsing this guy and he hasn't even played an NBA game yet. And like they said in the in the documentary, I mean, he could take it. He's, he was mentally tough because of what was going on in his country anyway. So, I mean, he, and even when he, they interviewed him, he didn't like it affected him none. He still came and did his thing and had a nice career. So I, I don't feel bad for him. Of course not. Ben, you just say, no, you don't feel bad? No, I, I don't feel bad for him either, man. I mean, he escaped war-torn Croatia to win a silver medal. Like, I mean, there, there's no there's no shame in that. Nobody was going to beat the USA. Besides, he had a second game against him, and he played a lot better. I mean, he toughened up. But, I mean, I don't feel bad for him. And then he ends up getting to play for the Bulls. I don't feel bad for Tony Kukoc. Kukoc. <laughs> Brian. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know if I feel bad for him in a sense, but I don't know if I could really say he deserved it either because he was put in a really precarious situation. Like, he's not the one who begged to be drafted by the Bulls in 1990. You know what I mean? He had nothing to do with Scottie Pippen's uh, contractual situation with the Chicago Bulls. You know, and, and I get what Michael and Scottie were doing. You know, I mean, those guys have been teammates for years, and then Michael was having Scottie's back. It seemed like in those, you know, small interview clips that they had on the um, episode that Scotty took it a lot more personal. You know, they had that clip where they were asking him, if, they were asking Scotty if he thought that Tony Kukoc could play in the NBA. And he straight up told him, no, not after the way he played today. That's after one game. And then what does Tony Kukoc do the following game, gold medal game? He scored 16. So obviously improved. But then they went back and asked Michael the same thing, you know, and they told him what Scotty said. And then Michael was like, yeah, I don't know if I would rush to judgment that, you know, that quickly after one game. 
you know, I don't feel bad for him, but, you know, it just, it sucks he was put in that situation because of all the factors that, you know, came into play, which he had nothing to do directly with. Are you reading my notes? No. <laughs> Jay, what do you got? Right there, right, right there. Yeah. Your microphone, there it is, right there. Yeah, I, I don't feel bad for, like, like you said, uh, he was in a war-torn country. He hit the lottery. He, he's, he's in a great situation. Not only did you hit the lottery to play in the NBA, but you hit the lottery to play with Michael Jordan. Come on, man. It's a great situation. They could have sent you to the Knicks, so you're in a good situation. So I don't feel bad for him at all. It, it brings up another uh, point to that, though. And what what is the GM's name again? I can never remember his name. Jerry Krause. Jerry Krause. Jerry Krause. Yeah. So, you know, and he's always talking about this is my team, the organizations win. You know, they keep that motif keeps coming up and up. But it also was like a power move on his point, just for the sake of making a power move. It's like, we're not even going to renegotiate Pippen's contract. I'm going to go overseas and scout mm-hmm. some guy who's not even on our team yet and consider drafting this guy when I could sign Scotty Pippen just out of spite, just to show, yeah, hey, I'm, I'm who's boss. And he said he's got that short man's complex. Isn't that what Michael said? You know, and it's Jeez. just like he was the one that even when they were celebrating he was like it's the organization it's the organization with the champagne running down his face let me get that and cigar let just, me get that cigar hey he hugged him though right he was like i'm just playing fuck you <laughs> i was uh I didn't really feel bad for Tony. I thought it was funny. You know, he's like, oh, did I do? I did do nothing. I did do nothing. But I do like how he rebounded with that second game. I keep forgetting about the gold medal game. Uh, I forgot that they played Croatia twice. I just, in my mind, remembered them playing him once. And because Jordan Pippen had 13 steals that first game against him when he went two for 11. Like you were saying earlier, you know, Brian, you know, with Scotty saying, I don't think he could play in the NBA. And Jordan saying, well, let's not rush to judgment because, you know, he's, He's young and he's playing the best of the best of the NBA talent. So let's just see what he has. And I think that is a perfect example of, you know, you know me, I love Scottie Pippen. That is one of many examples throughout his career where he was a little immature, you know, and a little too cocky about who he was and his, his level, which is why he's always kind of been second fiddle to Jordan because he needed someone like Jordan, much like LeBron needed someone like Dwayne Wade to kind of settle him down and say, you know, this is the way. For Scotty to say something like that, you know, that just shows a supreme arrogance. Hey, this is your future teammate. You know what your teammate. You can say, I don't think he's ready to play yet, but he can't play in the NBA. You know, give, let me get my money. Because remember, Scotty's had issues over the course of his career, you know, not wanting to go into the game. Phil Jackson drew the last play of the game for Tony in 1994, and then Tony ended up making that shot, and he actually made a lot of game-winning shots that season. They drew up the play for Tony Kukoc, who, keep in mind, had won three games at the buzzer for the Bulls this season. 1.8 to go. Here's what happened. 1.8 left. No timeouts left for the Bulls. Myers triggers the inbounds pass. Kukoc for the win. It goes! Oh! You saw Phil Jackson walking off the court. Not much celebration on his face. Here's his post-game interview. Now, as far as the last play of the game goes, um, Scottie Pippen was not involved in that play. He asked out of the play. I left him off the floor. You know, so there's some dependability issues. There's some head game issues there that just over the years with his battle with Jerry Krause probably didn't help his situation too much. You think that Coach could have been a potential replacement for Pippen? Had I they do. Not- Oh, yeah, I think he drafted him yeah. to replace Scotty because at the 1990 draft, they still haven't won nothing yet. Yeah. Mm. They it's were going into their championship season. So, it's Jay, true. the thing that I think that you were trying to say, too, is that Scotty did this to himself in a way. Because we mm. talked about during uh, the first bonus episode, me, you, and Corey, we talked about, like, okay, he had that offer for that seven-year, $18 million contract, right? Were those the terms that he... Yeah, seven, eighteen, and, and the reasons why he did. Because your question was, do you fault him for signing that contract, right? And so, of course, you know, with his fears of maybe getting injured and not having an opportunity for a big-time contract later on down the line, then, you know, he took, the, he took the chance and he signed the contract. So he put himself in that situation, right? And that was signed in, what, 1990 or 1991 or something like that? Seven years, so 98 like was the last year, right? 
So I think he put himself in that situation. So I, I agree with you that, you know, and that was the that was the impression that I was getting too last night while watching that footage was that Scotty was being very immature about this whole thing. And you can tell why he was being why he was being taking it personally. But part of me also was like, well, you put yourself in that situation by signing that that really bad contract. What Jordan does in his off time is consuming the Chicago media. And the New York media, and I suppose the national media. That's enough. I mean, that's, I mean, if, if my life comes to a point where it's scrutinized to what I do in my free time, then, you know, it's no need to even talk to you guys. So Jordan starts to get tired, as we see. And I've noticed a pattern because I had Michael Jordan's come fly with me. I've had Michael Jordan's playground, Michael Jordan's airtime, which they showed a clip of during this, and then Michael Jordan above and beyond. And if you look at him and Michael Jordan can fly with me, he's just like super happy, you know, holding the Wheaties box, you know, signing all his autographs, <laughs> you know, and in playground, he's, he's schooling, uh, with Kane, right. He's, he's schooling Kane on the playground. Um, oh, menace to society. Yeah. Yes, menace to yes, society. Yes, he's schooling yes, him, you know, yes. what if I get cut? And then by the time airtime comes, like that's the opening monologue with him sitting down. So a couple of the first episode, I played that clip, you know, my name is Michael Jordan. I played, you know, basketball for Chicago bulls. And then an opening monologue, he starts talking about, you know, initially I wanted all the fame, but it's starting to get tired. So I think we started to see super happy Jordan go from super tired. And this is the first time I think he stood during that 2000, you know, I mean that 93 season, 92, 93 season where he started, you know, letting it, the weight of the world on his shoulders agitated more and more and more shit came out. You know, what are your guys thoughts of is, was he right to be exhausted and could he be exhausted in today's NBA? Can I, I'll take that. I think he hit a perfect storm. Like he was hitting his stride. He was going into his prime at the same time other stars was declining. Like Magic Johnson just retired right after Jordan just got his first championship. So the NBA started becoming like the weight of Jordan. So he's got the weight of winning championships, the weight of his career. And now you're the weight of being the face of the NBA in the 90s. So I think all of that hitting him at the same time, he started feeling that and it started getting to him. And I think, you know, I think players feel that now. You know, I see Kevin Durant, he deals with a lot of pressure. He kind of gets upset. He does the the fake Twitter accounts and all that. So I think, you know, you, you've seen it, you see it now. But I think Jordan just had a different a different feel of it. Corey, what you got? He would have got destroyed in this era, for sure. And the only reason why I say that is because the, the players are way more athletic than they were back then. I mean, they were mentally tough back then. They were strong physically. But I don't think that Jordan would have been who he was in this era, in his era, than he would, would be in this era, in my opinion. Because the guys are way too athletic. They're a little bit more, you know, they have guys that can literally jump out of the building. And they have multiple ones that can do that, not just him. But you got to think about physically and mentally strained because he couldn't get more than two seconds by himself ever. So there's only a handful of guys in league history that can that have to deal with that. So I think it was not just the physical, but just the mental. Yeah, the mental part. He doesn't have to carry the NBA. LeBron kind of, but not really. Like, like Kobe kind of had to carry the NBA for a while until LeBron came along. Even though you know LeBron was still young, but it was still very much you know Kobe trying to carry the NBA. Ben, what you got? Well, I mean, I think that. Um... I think Jordan would have been the, the same player. Now you have to remember, like, you know, great players, they, they adapt to their surroundings. People say that about LeBron, how he wouldn't have been able to make it in the eighties and nineties because they played a tougher basketball and he just complains about everything, but he would have adapted to that. Just the same way. I think Jordan would have adapted to it because the strongest will survive. And it's all about adaptability. Same with Kobe. He could have played in any era. I think the great players could have played in any era. I think Larry Bird could play now, even though oh, they're the, the game is way more athletic and he wouldn't be any more athletic. Um, look at, look at, uh, the guy on Dallas Mavericks. What's his name? Luca. Luca. Yeah. yeah. Luka Doncic. Look at that very guy. Very that guy, rel relatively speaking, has very little athletic ability. He's already the one of the best players in the league in his second year. He's already a hall of famer. Brian. Yeah. I think that, um, going back to your question where it looked like Jordan was tiring out during the 93 season. I mean, he was coming off the heels of back to back championship runs and that uh, Olympic run in Barcelona, you know, on top of all of his, uh, you know, endorsement yeah. engagements and things like that, you know. So you can imagine, like, how physically exhausted and how mentally exhausted the guy must have been. Um, and then on top of that, too, a lot of the stuff about his gambling started to come out. 
you know? And then with the Jordan Rules book, I think it covered like all the uh, ins and outs of what went on inside the locker room. And so, I mean, you guys all probably played sports too. I grew up playing organized sports. And it is that, you know, unwritten rule is that whatever happens in the locker room or in the bus stays there. You know, you don't go outside with it. But then you had this book being made and, um, you know, and all these little things coming out. So it just seemed like going into the 93 playoffs, that everything was just piling on top of uh, Jordan at that point in time. So I don't think that it was surprising at all uh, to see him, you know, start to start to wind down and, you know, for them to lose a few games in the playoffs and maybe even, you know, be down two games in a series. And one last thing too, I, I agree with Ben. I, I think that the great players are multi-generational, you know, so I do agree that Jordan would have still been great in this era also, just like I believe that LeBron would have been great, you know, in the eighties and nineties also. So I, I'm of that same mentality as well, because you know, what, what I think that Jordan, Kobe, you know, Magic, Larry, and LeBron have is it's, it's here more than anything else. I think that, though, because we hear this all the time, you know, and more so in football than basketball about it's just a faster game and people are more athletic. I don't think basketball changes that much because there's always been fast people. Now, and there were more slower people back in the day because the, the positions were different. But Michael Jordan, he had a certain skill level. Like he would, and you see all the stories, you know, and all the NBA players will tell you, you know, he'll walk up, like he walked up on, uh, Chris Webber was telling that bullet story when, you know, they walk past and Jordan's sitting on the hood with a cigar and he's like, hey, which one of you guys are guarding me tonight? And he drops like 50 on him. So he could, <laughs> he could go out and he can just do that. And he was on such another level. If the, Today's competition would be a lot closer and I think he would love it because he finally has someone to push him. But he has so many fundamentals that most of today's players don't even have. He pulled up from 10, 15 feet all day long, fade away all day long, and there's not many players today can do that. Still, you got to be somebody, you know, there's a, there's a few of the guys, you know, but they, they don't have that, that same killer instinct. I, I think he could survive, but I don't know, like he, he couldn't survive that pressure in a sense to where he couldn't have just left. He would have had to figure it out. And we all know, you know, his father getting murdered, which they haven't covered you know, had to weigh heavily on him, on top of him getting tired. But when they show that picture of him surrounded by media, I could just imagine if that was like LeBron and all of a sudden he's like, I'm, I'm not feeling it no more. I'm coming off of three championships. I want to retire. He could get killed for that. But the, you know, one of the things that, you know, Jordan won three in a row. So it's almost like, it's like when Barry Sanders retires, like, oh man, you're retiring in your prime. You're retiring too early. Like no one, I don't think anyone would have called him a quitter unless he just came off with three championship losses and then decided to retire early. We'll never know. The narrative could change because of that. And also, I think his father's death kind of gave him an out with the public. Like people kind of laid off him a little bit. Because it sounded like what he was trending toward, I don't know if I want to do this anymore, yeah. you know, before his father got murdered. During the course of that year, you could tell fatigue and, you know, a loss of attentiveness to the game sometimes wore out. My father came out and stayed with me for about a week. We really got deep into the conversation about possibly walking away from the game. Uh, one of the things that we talked about originally and like the first one that, you know, Corey and Brian and I did was this docuseries. Where was it going to turn? So we're just past the 50% mark. It's, I'm, it's still not really feeling like the last dance to me. <laughs> Jay, what do you have on that? Yeah, I, I think next week is going to turn. They're going to go into his retirement, and I think they're going to go into the 98 playoffs, and I think that's when you're going to start seeing his true colors in practice and all of that. So I think that's when things are going to start turning. So I, I think next week, look for it around episode eight. That's when you'll, you'll see the difference. You know, I think they might dip a little, just a little bit into his baseball career. I would actually like to hear him talk a little bit about that and what was going through his mind if he really thought he could make it in baseball, you know, <laughs> looking back at it all these years. I would like to actually hear that because you never hear him talk about baseball. Corey? I was just thinking that, too, when I was watching, you know, both uh, five and six because it was just heavily, heavily talking about Michael Jordan, and it was getting more and more and less about uh, the other guys, the other pieces that um, they briefly talked about Tony Kukoc like briefly. So I thought they yeah. were going to go in a little bit more detail about that, but they didn't probably because he didn't have a lot going on on the team. I mean, you can't talk about the Chicago Bulls if you're not talking about Michael Jordan. We already knew that this was going to be a Michael Jordan centric um, piece. So, mm -hmm. um, so I mean, it's, it's, it's not disappointing because we already expected it. 
Yeah, we still have four to go. Um, Brian, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it, you know, like Corey said, I think it was always going to be revolving around Michael Jordan. But where I see this going, though, is that I think that they took a little bit of a break from Jerry Krause and all the strife that all the star players had with him. And I think they're going to start to ramp that up a little bit more to give us a little bit more detail about what happened with the star players on that team and the eventual breaking up of the band. So we know some details here and there, but I think we're really going to get to see, you know, the minute details of why they didn't uh, re-sign Scotty, why Michael decided to, you know, retire for the second time, why Phil, even though he won his second three-peat, didn't get, you know, a new contract. I think we're going to see all that come out. Does Luke Longley get an episode? <laughs> Bill Wennington. Well, Bill Wennington's uh, been in there, but yeah, we haven't really yeah. seen much of Luke Longley. You're right. Yeah. I think it's going to end um, with Michael Jordan on the Wizards passing the mantle to Rip Hamilton, who ends up winning yeah. a championship with the Detroit Pistons. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> he, so, he was waiting all day in uh, order to do that. Uh, <laughs> that was nice. So we got a preview. Uh, Pistons. I hate the uh, <laughs> <laughs> So we got a preview of what's coming or maybe, I don't know, did they show it? I saw it on uh, Bad Beats or on SVP. Yeah. So we, we're going to, we, we're going to get the Steve Kerr story. Cause I mean, they told mm-hmm. it, you, you know, Steve Kerr's like, I pushed him and he, I mean, or I'm not going to sit back for it. And Jordan pushed him. And then Steve says something and Jordan punched him in the eye and got kicked out of practice. And apparently he punched <laughs> somebody else. <laughs> Yeah, he punched Will Purdue. Will Purdue, right? Yeah, so that's that's coming. What do you guys want to see? And we'll start with Ben. What do you guys want to see in the next two episodes, other than what they've already told us? Well, what we think we're like we said, we think we're going to go to that. But they got what is it? Four more episodes, right? Yeah. So they they got a lot. They got a lot of time to uh, to explore stuff. I mean, are they going to spend two episodes on the '98 season? I think the last nine and ten is just going to be that that last season. It might as well be. They just entered the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. They keep hopping back between ninety eight and ninety three. <laughs> Brian, growing up a Seattle sports fan, uh, I want to see a little bit more about the Sonics, but I doubt we'll see much. <laughs> um, one thing I do want them to delve into is his father's murder. You know, I remember at the time that it happened. Um, I was a little kid. I was probably 13 or 14 at the time. And then all of a sudden you hear about James Jordan, you know, being found in his car, I think it was. It would be interesting to see, you know, how they cover that, if Michael has anything to say on what he says, you know, and all the circumstances that go around that. Because there's, you know, a lot of rumors going around, too, over the years about being tied to his gambling. I don't think they're going to go in that direction. I highly doubt that. But I think I'm just more interested just to get, you know, Michael's perspective because, you, you know, you saw... The images of after, you know, Michael winning the first championship, you know, hugging the trophy and crying and then his dad coming and sitting right beside him, putting his arm around him, you know, and uh, they covered it in uh, this past weekend's episodes where when Michael was being questioned about his gambling in Atlantic City, you know, and he had that uh, time where he just wanted to not talk to the media. His dad just came and said, you know, what, let me talk to them for you. So um, it'd be cool to get a little bit of reflection from Michael, to, you know, just to hear about how he handled that situation with his father passing away. Corey. Yeah, I was, uh, Brian took the words right out of my mouth. I kind of want to see a little bit more about that story, too. Um, over the years, I've kind of looked it up because Michael Jordan has been completely silent since his father has passed away. He doesn't say anything exactly. about that situation at all. Like, it's just like it happened, it's over, and that's it. But if they was tight, and for him to be able to compartmentalize that, I want to hear him talk about it in this documentary. Yeah, Jay, what do you got? Yeah, same here. Um, I know that he's not going to go too deep into it, but I would like to, you know, see it. They probably, you know what they're going to tie it into? They're going to tie it into the, uh, what, the 96 championship when he he won it on Father's Day. So they'll probably tie it into that. But it, it would be nice if they would go do a deep dive into his father's murder, but they'll probably just tie in to the, uh, the 96 season. I think it'd be cool if he just came out and be like, the Houston Rockets ain't shit. We would have swept them both years. <laughs> he, would, he wouldn't say that specifically. He'd be like, uh, I just think that uh, if we didn't have that, blah, 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 I don't think there's any, there's there's no question we would have taken that. 
I'm, I'm curious to hear about this whole fighting and stuff like that. I've seen previews of stuff where he's been abusive to like Scott Burrell and I think Judd Bushler. <laughs> Judd Bushler was telling a story about how he made I don't know if it was Corey was it Corey Benjamin? Is that the who was the who was a um the super tall, skinny, young center they had that almost never got out there? It might have been Corey Benjamin. It sounds familiar. Sounds about right. Yeah. Um well, he made somebody quit the team. Was it Corey Blunt? I remember. Uh, no, I don't think it was Blunt because I think Blunt was halfway decent, but it could have been Blunt or Dickie Simpkins. Like some, some of those guys are halfway decent. Some of them, like he basically yeah. basically made them cry and leave the team, and they got traded. I know I saw a preview about that coming up. Overall, episode five and six, I was a little disappointed. I felt like I I walked away with not really learning anything except for seeing some cool shit with the All Star break and you know and and the Kobe. What did you guys most enjoy about it? I'll start first. I really enjoyed the scenes of him hanging out with the team in the locker room, them talking shit to each other, drinking the beards, smoking stogies, and going golfing. Because that's the type of stuff that <laughs> you want to see yeah. that you typically don't see. Yeah. I, I liked how, how honest he was about the gambling. I think <laughs> I think he really did have a problem. I liked the moderate... I like the Ahmad Rashad interview. He had Ahmad Rashad telling him, come on, man, take your sunglasses off because it just made him look guilty. It just made him just look... I think he really had a bad problem, but uh, he had enough money to, to cover it. But he, I think he, it was it was worse than, than they're leading on to be, and, I, and I, I'm glad that he touched on a little bit. I mean, the worst that they have on him is he gambled too much money that he could afford to lose, and he maybe smoked too many cigars, like... I mean, is that all you got on him for a guy who was under scrutiny 24-7? I mean, I think he handled everything pretty well for the way I look at it. He couldn't escape anything, so he just wanted to go gamble. It felt like that was probably his only escape. Let me smoke my cigar and roll some dice, you know? What did you enjoy the most? The scene that I love the most about these two episodes were, I think it was right after they won their 60th game, and then you got the black and white shots and it's uh, them in the trainer's table. Everybody's already dressed up after, after the game and cracking open some beers. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Michael's talking about how back in the day when he joined the team, man, they were drinking a case of beers at halftime and, and the coaches were handing out cigarettes, you know, to players and shit like that. So I thought that was pretty funny because I, I totally believe it, man, because, you know, Jay, you know, this man, I, I'm a diehard baseball fan, man. Like I played it growing up and, you know, love watching it, diehard Mariners fan. And I remember one telecast I was watching as a kid when it was the uh, Griffey era and Lou Pinella was the manager. They panned over to the uh, to the dugout and it's in the doorway where the players enter and exit the dugout. And then you can see Lou Pinella like smoking a Marlboro light. <laughs> and then they quickly like pan away because the producers, you know, realize what was going on. But I totally believe that back in the day that that type of shit was going on all the time. So. It was pretty hilarious hearing that story. Corey, what'd you like about <laughs> these two episodes? Kobe Bryant. I mean, just to hear him speaking again and just talking about the game, it just it had me emotional a little bit, but I also was glad that they, you know, put it in there. You know, it was they good had to it see. on that. Yeah, it definitely was. And, you know, just to hear those guys talking about um the, the young kid, little LA kid out there, and I was like, man, you know, just seeing him out there and then after that and they went present day and he was talking about you know how he, he wouldn't have got his championships if it wasn't for his in, Michael Jordan's influence I thought that was pretty cool all right guys thanks for joining this week let's uh look forward to next week hopefully it would be nice to have you guys back on um real yeah. quick the, my parting question is and maybe we find out next week maybe we never find out do you think James Jordan's murder was gambling debt related Brian yes I do Ben. No. Corey. No. Jay. Yes. I don't think it was. It seemed random, but I, I think you never fucking random. know, man. Yeah. I think it was it was random. Alright guys, thanks. Wanna thank Jay Jacobs from the I Hate Average Podcast. You can subscribe to him on iTunes. Probably anywhere I use iTunes myself. So it's the I Hate Average Podcast. Also, make sure you check out Corey X. Harrison at the Outer Bounds Podcast, Outer Bounds Sports Podcast. You'll see him. He's kind of like doing a selfie with his Lakers head on. You can follow Ben Dixon on Instagram at BG Dixon. And you can follow Brian Kalma on Instagram as well at Brian727. If you want to pick up some hard-parking podcast swag, we are now on Teespring. 
So there's a store. So if you go to Teespring, T-E-E-S-P-R-I-N-G, you can get a hard parking podcast mug. You can also get a t-shirt, a really nice t-shirt. Hope you enjoyed this. Again, this is a bonus episode. Follow me on Instagram at NA2NSX or J-H-A-E underscore travels. Shoot me an email, hardparkingpodcast at gmail.com. Special thanks to all the sponsors of the show. Talk Mobile, Last Era Brand, Higher Quality Detail, NSX Channel on Instagram, and DressUpBolts.com. Special thanks to the Hi-Fi, Passion Hi-Fi for providing the awesome music that we use free on SoundCloud. If you like the show, please subscribe. If you don't like the show, please subscribe. Let's do this. Let's grow this thing together. Talk to you guys next week.